Every, every subculture has its slang, its slang and its words that it uses. Like every, this is the fun thing in, in America. There's so many different subcultures and uh, there's so many different slangs and different words used in all of these different kind of uh, subcultures throughout America. It's fun, but it can also be confusing for anyone new to a particular subculture. So like you've probably experienced this this before. You get a new job. You're at the job. Everyone's talking about the QZ files, and you're like, what's a QZ file, right? Like, that wasn't in my training. And if you're anything like me, I would just be like, totally a QZ file, QZ file, like, right? And just like, try to figure it out without ever asking a question. And so, so subcultures in America, they have all kinds of slang and words they use that only make sense in their context, and, and it can only be understood in, in their context. And so Christians, that, wow, my voice cracked. Christians, uh, Christians, they are the worst about slang and the words that they use. Like if you join a Christian subculture of some sort, whether it's a church or a parachurch or whatever, you're going to find Christians right away using words that you don't know, right? Like why, what's a QZ file? I didn't even know that was in Christianity. Like you're going to be like, going, what are these words that you use? And so I, I grew up in the church, I actually grew up, my parents went to two very different churches. So I grew up in a broad spectrum of evangelicalism, and I still sometimes enter some sort of a Christian subculture, and I'm like, what are you saying? Like, what is, this is not real words. Like, these are not real. So I remember when I was in college, I started uh, going to Campus Crusade for Christ. There's a parachurch ministry there. They're called Crew now. Uh, I started going to that, and I noticed something. Anytime I was talking to a guy about some gal that he was talking to, the, the, these guys would be like, oh, yeah, we DTR'd last week. And I would be like, what? what's a DTR? Do you guys know the DTR? Oh, probably most people know. Not a lot of people. So it's like half-half. It's like the younger generations use it. I'm really just millennials. And then younger, like, no, we don't even do that. But DT So I'd be like, what's a DTR, you guys? What, what is a DTR? And they, it, it stands for define the relationship. And so I was getting all these conversations with all these guys, and they'd be like, yeah, so me and Rebecca, we DTR'd last week. And I'd be like, stop it. Like, stop talking like this. Like, I was on a crusade, in-campus crusade, to stop this word from being, this acronym from being used. I was going, just tell me if you told her that you liked her, okay? Like, or, or tell her, like, ask her on a real date, right? Like, because a lot of these DTRs were like, well, we've hung out a lot of times by ourselves, so marriage, right? Like, it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be more forward at the beginning. <laughs> like, and so I, it's something about Christian subculture where there's all these kind of acronyms that are used. And even someone who grew up in the church, sometimes I'm going, what does is, what is that even mean, okay? And so right now, we are doing this series called Life in the Spirit, and it's in Romans chapter 8. And what you're going to find about Paul, who wrote Romans and Romans chapter 8, he uses all of these words that are kind of like Christian subculture words. Like he uses these words where he knows the meaning, the Christians of his day knew the meaning, and maybe even some outside of, of the church in his day knew the meaning. But sometimes these, meaning, these, these words, they've become so like Christified, like Christianified, like we all use them, in, like, and we probably are even using them correctly with one another, but we don't always know what the meaning of these words. And so uh, sometimes we have to take some time and really look at what Paul's saying and the specific words he's using and go, what are you saying, Paul? And one of the words that he uses this way, where we kind of have to get some clarity on, is this word that Paul uses called the flesh 
or flesh. He usually says the flesh or our flesh. So the flesh is this like word, phrase that Paul uses to describe something. And if you're new to the church, or even if you're not new to the church, you can be reading this word and you can think you're understanding this word. But because of the way that Paul uses it, it's kind of different than the cultures around him were using it always. It's helpful to know what it means. And so here's what we're going to do today as we're in Romans 5 through 8. We're going to take an in-depth look at this word, the flesh, that Paul uses in his sermon. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, and then we're going to just look at two things, two things. We're going to look at the problem of the flesh, and we're going to look at the solution of the Holy Spirit. Okay, two things today, the problem of the flesh and the solution of the Holy Spirit, okay? So a little bit of a recap of this series We're calling this series where we're going through Romans 8, Life in the Spirit, because so much of Romans 8 talks about how integrated the work of the Holy Spirit is into the life of the Christian. And then something else to know in this series is we're just doing a few verses at a time. Last week we did four, this week we do three. Like we're, we're just doing a handful of verses at a time because what you're going to find in Romans 8 and even Romans in general is there is a lot of Paul's theology jam-packed even into just a few verses. And to fully understand him, it helps to kind of just spend some time going through it uh, slowly. And so uh, if you want kind of a, a lengthy overview of the of Romans of what Paul's getting at in Romans you can listen to the sermon last week it was a bit lengthy and so I, I don't apologize but um, but it will help you to kind of understand well, the course of Paul's argument in Romans in general so but to give you a little recap what we learned last week was this we learned that the law was a good gift from God but even though it was a good gift from God sin took advantage of the law And sin and the law became these condemning accusers. And and it really just pointed out how, how humanity is living under this law of death. And then we learned that through the Holy Spirit in Jesus, we now have life and not condemnation. Okay? So, uh, let's get into it today. Let's start by, let's reread those verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. If you're not familiar with Romans, you're new to the church. The New Testament is a lot of these letters that, that Paul would just write to different areas and, and kind of speaking to their situation, speaking to what he wanted them to hear. And, and Romans is one of those letters uh, that was uh, to, to the Romans. And so, uh, so, that being said, let's start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, so in those three verses, Paul is providing this contrast. He's trying to say what life without Christ is like. And he, t- he labels that as life walking according to the flesh. And he's talking about what life is like in Christ. And he says that's a life that lives according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so he's making this contrast to make a bunch of points. So let's talk about the first point of this sermon is 
the problem of the flesh. You see, Paul mentions the flesh a whole bunch of times in just those three verses. He even mentioned it last week in the verses that we were in, but we just didn't get into the flesh itself. And so Paul sees this thing called the flesh as a problem. And he sees it as a problem, not just for some, he sees this thing called the flesh as a problem for everybody. So when Paul and when the other New Testament authors use this term, the flesh, what are they what are, they, what are they getting at? What are they saying? How do, how, how do we understand that word more thoroughly so we can understand God's word better? So first I'll say this before I kind of define the word the flesh for us is uh, there's this great book out called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. A handful of, I think, our redemption communities have read the book. The book has three different sections, and one of its sections is on this thing called the flesh and how the Bible talks about the flesh. It is a great book. It is one of the best, especially its opening chapter about the flesh. Uh, it, it is one of the best summations of the flesh that I've read. And even some of what I'm saying today will be like paraphrasing John Mark Comer. I would encourage you to go get that book, read that book. If you don't like reading the, the Audible book, the audio book, is really great. He does uh, the narration. I guess he does the reading of it. And so uh, it, it's really easy to follow. So I would just say, suggest that book. And some of what I'm saying is paraphrasing exactly like his work in that because I think he does a great job summarizing that. But so the flesh, what is the flesh? Are we still hearing a ringing or is it normal? You guys are all good? You guys, I saw a no. Okay. All right. As long as you guys aren't hearing it. Um, all right. The flesh, what is the flesh? The flesh uh, can really mean a handful of things. In, in the New Testament, this word flesh, flesh in the Greek is sarks, okay? Sarks. In the, and, it, and it means a few different things. It, sometimes it just means like your literal body. Um, sometimes it means like all of mankind or humankind and, or people kind of is how it's used. Um, and then, or sometimes it's a reference to ethnicity or people's ethnicity. So, but, but those are, those are the ways it's used and it's helpful for us to know those things, but, but it's not exactly how Paul is using the phrase, the flesh here in Romans. Paul, when he's using the term, the flesh, what he means is something like are the animalistic cravings of our body that are opposed to God in his ways. So like the animalistic cravings of our body that are opposed to God. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he, he wrote the, the Message Bible. He paraphrased uh, the Message Bible. He defines the flesh as the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. I think that's super helpful. Um, 2 Peter 2.10, Peter uses the word the flesh, and it's helpful to see uh, another biblical author, how they use the word the flesh. And Peter says the flesh has these corrupt desires, and because the flesh has these corrupt desires, it leads to all sorts of sin and all sorts of uh, bad things for humanity and for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's helpful to even think of the flesh when the biblical authors are using this term as corrupt desires, corrupt human desires, okay? So that's kind of the flesh. Here's how John Mark Comer puts uh, what he gives like a biblical definition of the flesh. He says this, basically, and this, the words will be on the screen, basically, the flesh is our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, as in sex and food, but also to pleasure in general, 
as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. Desires that are in all of us. In spite of the humanistic atmosphere all around us constantly telling us we're good, we all know we have these desires that we don't know what to do with. Because they don't match the cultural messaging that we hear all the time, we often feel terrified the truth will come out, or we'll feel shame over our inner lives, or even a kind of self-hate. But the New Testament is incredibly open about the dark underbelly of the human heart, and we're invited to explore it under the loving gaze of God's compassion. So that's the flesh. That's, I, I gave a few different definitions of the flesh to, to help us flesh that word out. And so, um, just a little pun comedy for you. Please don't leave. Uh, so... But I, because it's kind of helpful to see kind of there's, there's a robustness to this word. There's, this, is a, this is a power. This is a force in us as Paul see, sees it. And so Paul, in Romans 8, he, he is showing us the human problem of the flesh. That humans have this thing in them and part of them that are these animalistic drives for self-gratification that are, that are anti-God. And they create all sorts of problems, and they oppose God, and they rebel against God. Okay, and that's, that's the flesh. That's the flesh in Paul's estimation, in my estimation, in that's the problem, or one of the problems in all of us. So, an important sidebar. An important sidebar to take when we talk about human desires and the flesh and corrupt human desires is this. One, one of the hardest things about growing up in the church or being in the church is how often that we as Christians begin to label all human desires, especially if they're linked to pleasure in any way, to, to this idea of the flesh. Like very often the church, what begins to happen because you see this idea of the flesh, you link all of your human desires to sin. You say, all of my human desires are sin, where what I think is going on with the flesh is the flesh is showing our animalistic desires for self-gratification, and there are a lot of good human desires below those desires. And I think it's just important for us to take that sidebar because very often we can become legalistic in the church, we can become self-condemning in the church when we begin to label all normal human desires as, as the flesh, as sinful. Right? We're all uh, touched by sin. Right? We're all touched by sin, for sure. But what begins to happen sometimes in Christian communities is you go, well, everything that I desire is the flesh. And I would say I, there are just base-level human things that will be with you when Jesus returns, I think. And, and that God put in us, probably in a, in a sense to image him or really in a sense to drive us to him. I, I don't know all of the ins and outs of it, but it's just an important sidebar for us to say is that, that Paul and the biblical authors, they're, they're not trying to say all human desires are the flesh. I think they would even say there are a lot of human desires that are good and holy human desires or creationally good. Like God put the image of God in us and that's why that desire is in you. But what they would say is the flesh, though, is when those desires turn into an anti-God, animalistic, self-gratification 
mode. Or even if you have the good desire at the baseline, what happens is to get that baseline desire met is you desire specific things that are fleshly sorts of desires. Okay? So if that's not confusing, uh, you're really smart. And so uh, I'll, I'll, again, flesh this out a little bit uh, by giving a, a personal example. So for a good baseline human desire is to desire love and affection. Okay? You will always desire love and affection. When Jesus returns, you will desire love and affection. When you're a kid and you're a little kid, you desire love and affection. Like that is something everybody pretty much desires, okay? And so that, that is a, a normal, good, baseline human desire. Now, because of the household that I grew up in, and I'm not trying to put my parents on blast. My parents really did the best that they could, and they loved me, and, and they're great. But because of what my life was like as a kid, that, that baseline human desire for love and affection, it didn't get met. It didn't get fully met in all kinds of ways. Uh, but it wasn't wrong for me, little kid Anthony, to, to want love and affection. It wasn't wrong that I desired those things. And it wasn't wrong that as I got older, it felt like there was almost like a hole in my heart in certain ways because I didn't get some of that formative love and affection that I desired as a child. And I didn't know what was going on. I just felt it inside, okay? But here's what happened. As I got older... My sinful flesh preyed. It preyed upon that good desire. It, it took advantage of those good desires. It, it took advantage of that pain inside me. And so what happened as I got older is I began to find ways to chase affection through relationships that were either emotional or physical that wasn't good for me. That were more, uh, I, my good desire was turning into fleshly specific desires in all sorts of ways. And, and, and at the end of the day, as I pursued those different sorts of relationships to get the, this affection need met, it was really just about me serving my own desires and wants. And it, it, what it began to do is it, it began to make me treat people as commodities and objects to serve me, to make my animalistic cravings feel good. So again, here's the thing. It was not wrong that I craved affection, that I craved love. Those are human, normal human cravings that are good and okay. It's not wrong that I still crave love and affection. But what I think God, through Romans 8, is trying to communicate to all of us in this world is a lot of times a lot of our good human desires become animalistic, and that's the flesh. So these baseline good desires in us, what happens is we begin to desire specific things in specific ways that are a chase to get that fleshly desire met, that base, at the bottom of it, we're going, no, I really want this good human desire met but it becomes fleshly and sinful because there are all these different specific ways where the way we do that is really to serve ourselves, to operate out of instinct, to, to really be more animal than human in all kinds of ways. And so how this works is a lot of times like what happens is like the good thing of, of wanting affection and love. That becomes the fleshly desires of wanting codependency in your relationships 
or finding yourself lusting a lot or being promiscuous or, or a thousand other things. That's what the flesh does. Or the good thing of, of like wanting security. It's not, want, it's not bad to want to be safe, to want to be secure. It's not bad because one day we will be completely safe in God's arms. But how the flesh works is it turns that good desire into all these fleshly bad desires where to, to find safety, you want control in all of your relationships, or you have these outbursts of anger so that you can have control in your relationships and safety in relationships. Or even sometimes what happens to people is there's a shallowness of depth in all of their relationships with people because they want to maintain their security and safety. I think that's the flesh. Some of it's very understandable based on our stories, but I think some of the, the, the animalistic way of doing things is the flesh. Or even in our culture, like there's this good thing of wanting to embrace your feelings, embrace who you really are, and express those things. I think the flesh comes in and it turns in that into always operating on animal instinct always operating on your instincts, always operating on what your body is feeling. And then a lot of times that leads to this fleshly life of having no self-control in anything. Right? Do you see how, how muddy it can get? Like, I, I, there, there are these good human desires, and then the flesh comes in, and it makes it complicated. And even as we learn more about ourselves, it can, it can feel more complicated because you're like, at, the, at my baseline, I just desire love and affection. But often how we get that love and affection is what determines if it's the flesh or if it's you kind of like submitting yourself to God in his ways. So that's the problem. That's, that's, that's the problem of the flesh. That, that Paul is talking about here. And I just, again, I, I just wanted to take an important sidebar and just say there are good human desires in us that often we label as satanic when they're not. And then there's bad fleshly desires in us that we often label and baptize as good when they're not either. So if, if, if you want happiness, if you want food, if you want affection, if you want peace, if you want safety, those are normal human things to want. Um, but those things become fleshly when those good desires get twisted into this animalistic, selfish craving or capturing of those things. And so what Paul is getting at in Romans 8 is he's like, this is the flesh. This is a problem. This is a problem for humanity. This is a problem for everybody. It corrupts everything that's good. And it's, it's sin in us operating, and it's in all of us whether we believe it or not. And I think what Paul also is getting at is when you live a life according to the flesh, I'll be honest, man, it is real. I, I can get into like a fleshly way of life very easily. Like the way I can feel it in my heart. Like how often I just want to act like an animal. I could just give in to that. What Paul says is that way of life is really a way of death. And, and I think he means it literally and metaphorically. I think, I think he's saying, like, no, like, because sin is ruling over you, like, one day you will die. And you're going to experience death because of that. And not the resurrection with Jesus. If that's the, the way you keep going. 
But I also think that he's saying it metaphorically where he's like, that sort of life is like a, a, a walking death. You're walking around dead all the time. The picture I kept getting as I was studying the series is, I don't know if you remember this story in the Old Testament where Nebuchadnezzar is not obeying God and God's like, fine, I'm going to make you like an animal. And he just is like in the fields for like, I can't remember how long, but like a long time just acting like an animal until one day God's like, okay. Like this is what the, the worst version of the flesh does to us. And so... Paul says when one operates under the flesh, they often, they know what's wrong, they know what's right for them, and they even do their best to, to do what's right, to give in to what's right. But usually what happens is their fleshly desires win, and they end up doing what's fleshly. They can't help but giving in to their flesh. This is kind of what Paul was arguing in Romans 7, this kind of confusing chapter for a lot of us. This is what Paul is saying is a problem for all of humanity. Our animalistic, fleshly desires tend to overcome what we want or even what we know we should do. And so living under the flesh is death. It's exhausting. It's tiring. One of, my, one of my favorite uh, artists, I don't think he's cool to like anymore, but it is Macklemore. I really like Macklemore. And Macklemore, he has this song called Intentions. And Macklemore doesn't know this, but he wrote, rewrote the problem of the flesh in song form. He wrote, he wrote what Paul is getting at in Romans 7 and Romans 8 about the flesh and what the flesh does to humanity. Now, I, I don't think Macklemore is a Christian. He, has, he seems like he appreciates Christianity in certain ways, but I don't think he's a Christian. And he, he, he wasn't writing this to imitate Romans 7 and 8, but I just feel like I see the problem of the flesh in the lyrics to this song. And so I'm going to read half of this song to you guys because I, I just think it highlights so well the problem of the flesh and the exhausting nature of the flesh. Uh, I might sing a little bit. I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. Here's what he says. He says, I want to be sober, but I love getting high. I want to give it 100%, but I'm too afraid to try. I want to be faithful, but I love hooking up with randos. I want to live by the law, but I still think like a vandal. I want to get exercise, but I'm too lazy to work out. I want all the finer things, but don't want to go to work now. I want to go outside, take my family to the beach, but instead I wake up in the morning, first thing I do is look at a screen, at a screen. And then he says, I want to live freely. Why isn't it so easy? I should read a book, but I keep watching this TV, and I know this lifestyle doesn't really feed me. I just tune out to the voice inside that's speaking. All my little problems keep on building up and building up. All my good intentions just ain't good enough. I can't find the love. So I smoke until my lungs are full, and I drink until I lose my cool. Apology is my middle name, and one day I will change, but I'm okay with who I am today. I'm okay with who I am today. To which I want to say, are you, though? <laughs> Like, what a turn the song takes. He's, he's, he's taking the whole song to go, like, here's what's wrong with me, right? Like, he unabashedly, just very vulnerably, like, just going, I want to do this, but I do this. I want to do this, but I do this. I know this is good for me, but I still do this other thing. And he has half a more song with things like that. And then he takes a turn in the chorus, and he goes, even though one day I'm going to change, I didn't plan on changing, right now, 
I'm just going to be okay with who I am today. It's, it's funny. He, he sees the, the flesh, as I'm going to call it, or giving in to his flesh, as something that doesn't allow him to live freely, and it's something that keeps building up his problems more and more. You'd really think, like, do you know Paul Macklemore? Like, do you, are, you, are you guys related? Like, this is a very similar kind of thought that, that Paul is talking about in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And I think any human that is honest with themselves, they're going to notice this sort of dynamic in themselves at some level. We all have this problem of the flesh. And you can cope by ignoring it. You could cope by willing yourself to be better and better and better, but I think you'll often find the flesh creeps in in other ways with other things. Or you can kind of just like lie to yourself like Macklemore and just go like, hey, one day I'm going to change, but right now I'm okay. And he's doing that because if he really faces himself in the mirror, he knows that's going to be a very crushing weight to bear. It would be traumatic to really face his fleshliness. And so I think God in Romans through Paul is thoroughly outlining this problem of the flesh. What is God's solution? God's solution is the Holy Spirit. God's solution is himself. Let me reread verses five through eight. This is what's fun when we only do three verses. I'm like, I'll read it 10 times to you guys. Like, it's great. Let's read it again. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, Paul In these three verses that we're reading, he's juxtaposing a life according to the flesh and a life according to the spirit. But if you're anything like me, reading those three verses is a little bit jarring. Because as we just talked about what the flesh is and gave a thorough definition, and now you see what Paul's talking about with the flesh, you kind of go, I think, Anthony, I'm a little bit more like Macklemore than, than Paul. Like, I'm a little bit more like Macklemore than I would care to admit. Like, I have a lot of fleshly moments in my life. Like, it almost sounds like Paul's saying I'm not a Christian or some, something like that. And so here, here's what would be helpful to know. That's how I read the Bible a lot, and that's what happens to me a lot. And what I'm forgetting is Paul, he is using a, the rhetoric of his day which means he's speaking how the, the people in his day spoke, how the Jewish teachers taught, how even the non-Jewish teachers taught. He is using a form of rhetoric of contrast here, of extreme contrast here, to, to kind of speak and teach the way that people in that day did. And so Craig Keener, a great biblical scholar, he talks about this very dynamic in his commentary on Romans, contrasting the life according to the Spirit and the life according to the flesh. And here's what he says, and I think it will help us. He says, as Paul paints this contrast graphically in the binary term standard in his culture. Thus, for example, Jewish wisdom divided humanity into the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the foolish. Likewise, Stoic philosophers divided humanity into those who were perfectly wise and those who were foolish. Yet all Jews recognize that most or all people sinned, and even advanced Stoic philosophers recognize that they did not perfectly conform to the ideal wise person. 
In other words, Paul uses the familiar imagery of ideal types of his time. So, sometimes when we read scripture and we see these kind of extremes here and these contrasts, we, if you're like me, you very quickly think, okay, well, uh, I'm not a Christian, which that's a bummer because I'm also a pastor. And so, uh, <laughs> or you go, man, this is just too high a standard. Like, I can't live up to the standard. This is impossible. But it would be really helpful for us to just lean into the fact that, that Paul, he, he's talking about, he, he's talking in the way the, the, the teachers of his day talked. He's teaching in the way, the way that they taught. But that being said, he's using strong language, the strong language of his day, to make a strong point. And the strong point that he's trying to make is a kind of a couple points. The first point he's trying to make is all humanity has this flesh problem. He really thinks all of humanity has that problem, not just some of humanity. But he's also trying to make this strong point. He's trying to say, but Jesus has brought a spirit solution. Right? He's trying to say the only way, the, the truly only way to get rid of this flesh problem is the Holy Spirit solution. The, the only way to get rid of this flesh problem is to have a life that has the Holy Spirit in it. So Paul, he's not here trying to say, oh, some people sin and some people don't. He's trying to say everybody has the flesh problem and everybody needs the Holy Spirit solution. That's what he's trying to say. Now, some people read these verses and they start to go, okay, well, how do I live according to the Spirit and, and away from the flesh? And, and that's a good question to ask because in these next verses, 9 through 13, Paul kind of starts to get into that. So we'll talk about that next week. But what he's trying to do in verses 5 through 8 is not say, uh, be good, not bad. What he's trying to do is have Christians remember how good they have it in Christ through the Spirit. Right? In fact, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I think God is unabashedly saying through Romans 8, a life with him is so much better than a life without him. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. He's, I think Paul's also saying, hey, even the best humans... Even the best humans can't live a life that's truly and totally pleasing to God. That's how big the problem of the flesh is. And then I think what Paul is trying to say is what God wants to give you is a life in the Spirit. A life of God giving himself to you to reside in you, making you able to resist the flesh completely and totally at one point when the resurrection happens. A life in the spirit where the spirit purifies over time your corrupt human desires and makes them good again. That's what I think Paul is trying to present. He's saying this is a huge problem, but there's a bigger solution. And I want to be clear. I think there's a lot of humans that are not Christians that are morally better than me that are more virtuous than me. I, I truly believe that because I have friends who are better than me. <laughs> like, I just know, I'm like, you're a better person than me. I, just automatically. What Paul is doing with the, this rhetoric here, he's not trying to say, Christians, look how much better you are than everybody else. He's trying to say, look how good you have it in Christ. Look how good you have it in Jesus. 
And what Paul is trying to do in, th in these three verses, he's not trying to say be better, but he's rather just saying, remember who you are. Remember how good you have it, Christians. A lot of the New Testament ethics are fueled this way. They're fueled not by be better, but remember who you are in Christ now because of the Spirit. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. Remember what God has done. And I think Paul is saying a, flesh, a fleshly driven life, it can't please God. Even a very virtuous fleshly driven life can't please God. But I think he is saying a life that acknowledges your fleshiness and turns to God as the solution is what pleases God. And when that happens, you will begin to have a life that lives according to the spirit, as Paul puts it. I, so I think the main difference, the main difference between those who trust in Jesus and, and, and those that don't, Paul was saying the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and a trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit and a trust in Christ. I, I, one author, when he was doing the work on this, is actually that Craig Keener, when he's talking about this section on Romans, he says, basically, there's two options all of humanity has. They can live a life relying on themselves, or they can live a life relying on God. What the Christian has that the non-Christian doesn't is the Holy Spirit. The Christian gets to rely on the Holy Spirit. The non-Christian has to rely on themselves. So Paul's not trying to get at and make us feel condemned, being like, well, if you're a sinner at all, you're not a living according to the Spirit. He's just trying to say, you, Christian, because of what Jesus has done, has the Holy Spirit. You get to live a life where you rely on the Holy Spirit, where you get a mindset of the Holy Spirit instead of a life where you just rely on yourself, rely on your own flesh. In, that, in the song that I read, Macklemore says, I want to live freely. Why isn't it so easy? And I think Paul would answer him because the flesh is a powerful force and problem in humanity. And if you keep living by the flesh, you will, leave, you will live an exhausting life where you can never quite conquer everything you want to conquer. And then I think Paul would say, but if you want true freedom, you can find it in the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. Now again, any Christian that's honest with themselves, they're going to say, Anthony, escaping my fleshly desires, it, it isn't easy for me. So what does that mean for me as I read these words? This is what it means. You're a human. You're a human. Part of the good news of what Paul is getting at here is in spite of your flesh problem, God has given you his spirit. God has put his spirit in you in spite of your flesh problem. God has made a way for you to have his spirit in you. God has made a way for you to be fully pleased by him when your fleshly sort of ways are not pleasing. And the way that he did that is through Jesus' life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. So... Christian, don't be discouraged by the fact that you're human. That's why God had to do all this, right? Sometimes we get so discouraged, we just start condemning and condemning and condemning ourselves. I've got this flesh problem, flesh problem, flesh problem. And you just, you go, I must not be a Christian. Now listen, we do got to deal with it. 
and we'll talk more about that next week. But we do it in complete love and security because of what Jesus did. We don't deal with it before we approach God. God approached us, and now he's given us the spirit, so then we can deal with it. So be encouraged, not by, uh, be encouraged that, that God is the solution, not you, to your fleshy problem. Every time your fleshiness creeps up, it's a time to remember what your true identity is. You rely on the spirit now instead of the flesh. There's a lot of situations in my life where I operate on my instinct. I operate on what my heart is like wanting me to, like I feel it again in my chest. And I operate letting that fuel me. In those moments, I have to go, no, actually, I have to let the ruler of my heart, the Holy Spirit, now change how I operate. And the good news is the Holy Spirit's reworking our desires, reworking how our desires work. And he's making them more holy as time goes on. You know, I talked about my parents in the beginning of the sermon. They've both been Christians my whole life, basically. Um, and as, as hard as a, a home it was growing up in different ways, even as they're aging, even my, my dad's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's even. I can't help but see I, I, the Holy Spirit working in both of them, making them less fleshly. And I, I'm like, okay, God, you're real. <laughs> like, if you, can, if you can work in, in, in my parents in these ways, after they're, like, they're not stuck in their ways, that's a life according to the Spirit. That's a life according to the Spirit. And so well, next week we'll talk more about what to do when our flesh creeps up a bit. But right now, what Paul wants us to remember, we are, we are children of God. We are loved by God. And Jesus and the Spirit made it so you don't have to run the rat race of relying on yourself anymore. And, and, and part of the Spirit's work will be, will be to bring you back to your good and pure human desires without the corruption of the flesh in them and maybe even create new and good desires in you. So Christian, whether, whether you want to believe it or not, if you believe in Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And Paul wants you to remember that is fundamental to your identity. That's, part, that's fundamental to who you are as a person now. So just like Macklemore, you can be okay with who you are today. The difference is you don't have to lie to yourself. You can be okay with who you are today because of God's love. Because God's love has made it so you can be okay with who you are today. Because he's okay with who you are today because that's how powerful Jesus and the Spirit are. And, and God is going to, the Holy Spirit is going to work into you a life that lives according to the Spirit over time. So church, we all have a flesh problem. The good news is God himself, the Holy Spirit, is the solution to that flesh problem, and his spirit re re resides in us who trust in Jesus, which is true even for the moments your fleshiness creeps up to. So church, may we be a people that believe and experience and know all that we have in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. You are such a good father to us. You 
don't abandon us when we want to abandon ourselves. You don't abandon us even when ourselves overpower like the goodness that you've put in this world in certain ways and we rebel really against the goodness you put in this world. And so God, uh, just thank you that you are that committed to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are committed to us. God, I, I, uh, I just ask that whatever it is that you want to say to us through Romans in these verses this morning, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, that we would apply it to ourselves, um, that we would embrace this identity we have as people filled with the Spirit, that we would understand that more. Would you be merciful to us and, and even let us see that more? And so, God, we, we love you. We're so thankful for you. Help us to, to, to have a mindset of the Spirit, but help us to see that that is part of our identity, whether we fight for it or not, because that's how powerful your son's work was. So, God, we love you and need you. Amen.